we have a new free book for Human Action Podcast listeners, Dr. Guido Holzman's How Inflation Destroys Civilization. Learn how inflation isn't only making us poorer, it's harming our culture, mental well-being, and the moral foundations of civilization itself. Get your free copy today at mises.org slash HAPod free. This is the Human Action Podcast, where we debunk the economic, political, and even cultural myths of the days. Here's your host, Dr. Bob Murphy. Dave, welcome to the Human Action Podcast. Murph Dog, good to be with you. <laughs> Someday I hope to be the, uh, the queen of the cocks. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners know who you are, but for the three of them that don't, just real quickly, you know, what, what's your status in the uh, Austro-Libertarian world? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what my status is. I don't know. Well, it's sinking, but I'm just saying, <laughs> at least in the, in the libertarian. At one point, at one point, it was yeah. pretty good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'm a, a hardcore Rothbardian libertarian, and I, I have a podcast, and for whatever weird reason, I somehow have ended up being a, a voice in this, this weird liberty movement that we're all a part of. Yes. And what we're going to be focusing on today, folks, is, as the title, I'm sure, of this episode suggested to you, is immigration. So, Dave, you were trending recently on Twitter and, or it was another Dave Smith, but I assume it was you, and uh, had to do with all of a sudden everybody is debating your views on immigration. Why did that happen? I mean, I don't mean to insult you, but like, why all of us for a week has everyone been obsessed about what Dave Smith thinks about immigration? Well, I've had this habit over the last few years of uh, like setting Liberty Twitter on fire with a, a controversial take here or there. And this one was totally not planned. I've had a few of them before where I was like, I'm going to say something that I know is going to like spark a big debate. And I, mm -hmm. I, you know, people can either take me at my word or not, but I really, I don't think I ever do it just to like oh, let me get my name out there in this. It's usually because right. I think there's something important that libertarians have to grapple with. But this was not that at all. I was on uh, Clint Russell's show, and we did a show the night that Tucker Carlson interviewed Vladimir Putin. We mm -hmm. did like a show where we gave our thoughts on it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then just at the end of it, he asked me about like a few other things. And one of the, I, I, I forget exactly how it came up, but he, he asked me something about, uh, open borders or something. And I was, look, I've done, I've done several full shows about the topic and I've done debates about it before. I, I I'm planning on doing another debate coming up, uh, in the near future or, or discussion or something like that. But I just kind of, I don't know. It was, a, it was a night podcast. I'd had a couple whiskeys if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> um, and I was probably, I probably said it in, you know, in a way where I was more like, uh, I probably should have been more trying to convince. Like, was board. it a Mel Gibson moment or it was just more of a taken out of context? On, on a scale of <laughs> one to Mel Gibson, I was, I was only at like a three or a four. But okay. I, I was probably, I should have been trying to convince Open Borders libertarians more than I was just kind of frustrated with them. And I, I think I said something about how uh, they're as bad as communists. Um, and, uh, you know. And they didn't, they didn't care for that. They, 
it turns out that wasn't well received. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I still kind of stand. I stand by the point that I was making. Mm. I think that there's something about being so married to, uh, so possessed by ideology that you will support something that is so obviously right in front of your face going to be a disaster for right. so many people, including your own cause, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I do think there's something about that that has this, like, we got to break a few eggs to make an omelet type of feeling to it, which never ends up resulting in an omelet. Um, right, right. But, uh, but anyway, so that then, you know, somebody started posting that. And then, of course, when they started posting it, I started getting confronted with a lot of the uh, open borders arguments, and then I was going back and forth with a lot of people, and then it just kind of, you know, I don't exactly know how the algorithm works, but then my name was in that trending thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so let me just make it clear for the listeners here on the Human Action Podcast, uh, Dave and I are chummy, and so I'm not here to grill him or anything, uh, and I'm going to play devil's advocate. So since Dave is now of the view that, yeah, he understands what 20 years ago probably would have been like the default libertarian stance. Hey, just like we're for free trade, goods can cross it. It's kind of crazy and arbitrary and inefficient if the government's standing at the border, putting tariffs on Chinese TVs or whatever. But likewise, if people, you know, if, if labor wants to come in, just like consumer goods or capital goods want to come in, then why would the government interfere with it? How could po politicians get involved possibly improve things? And then there had been a series of papers and you know speeches and whatnot uh, in the intervening years, including from such luminaries in our branch of the woods, uh, as, uh, Rothbard and Hoppe and so forth, saying, actually, on second thought, it's not obvious that if you're for free trade, you reflexively should be for open borders either. And here's why. Da, 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 da. Um, and so Dave's taking that stance, and I'll give you in a second, Dave, a, a chance to explain like, your own evolution of your views. But once Dave's done doing that, I am going to just like put his framework through the wind tunnel. Well, that's I what that's, I wanted. That's yeah, why I was excited right. to do this. And I was, yeah. I was really, I've been looking forward to this because I, you're uh, somebody who I consider to be uh, much smarter than me. And I know that I, I think you're kind of the perfect person to do this because I think that you don't exactly agree with everything I'm saying, but I also think that you've kind of seen that there's like a little bit of a point to what I'm making and seen that there's a little bit of a flaw to, uh, to a lot of the counter arguments that you get right. from libertarians and where, so anyway, I just thought I was like, yeah, let, let's do that. And if I'm getting something wrong, then I I'd like that to be exposed. But I think like I've read my Rothbard and Hoppe and stuff, and I think I'm on solid ground. Right. And at the very least for sure, what I'll say is um, I, I think I joked to you, Dave, about, you know, privately when I was seeing all the s stuff that you were enduring and I was saying something like, this is like how I started out not liking Trump. And then I saw what everyone did to him. And then I ended up rooting for him. It was kind of like that, where in the beginning it's, the, you know, it's, obviously I thought your views were more defensible than a lot of what Trump said, <laughs> sure, yeah. but just seeing like everyone, you know, Oh, so Dave's a Nazi now. That's cool. Right. You know, and just mischaracterizing. So anyway, that's well, so we'll get into all that stuff folks, but I just wanted to be clear up front. What's funny, Dave, I don't know if you saw it, but right as we were getting, uh, it, it literally dropped today. Somebody dug up a book review I had written for Mises.org back in 2006 in which I'm somebody was, uh, in, I think Liberty Magazine was, I think the guy's name was Cox, but I'm not certain about that. He was 
challenging the standard, you know, libertarian case for open borders and making some point. And I was ripping the guy. Like, so at that point, I don't know if I called myself a supporter of open borders, but I definitely was not happy with, you know, whatever his article was or something or, or his book was. So anyway, it was kind of funny that as of 2006, but even there it shows, and let me just one last prefatory remark here, folks, the Mises Institute is not all super dogmatic. I mean, they have sponsored, uh, seminars on the immigration question with various people like Walter Block famously has been quite open borders the whole time. All right. right. And so it, it's not like, Oh, you get excommunicated. If you, if you say one thing or other on the borders, because you disagreed with Rothbard. And so no, I'm he saying was never excommunicated for that. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Dave. Sorry. That's inside, yeah. inside a joke, I guess uh, people <laughs> listening to this probably know what I'm talking about. But yes, so, you're right. Yeah. 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 So it's just funny. I'm saying so as of 2006, even though that was, you know, years after, you know, Hoppe's stuff and everything, I was, I felt comfortable writing a piece of Mises.org to be like, oh, this guy coming here, you know, talking about the economic case for restricting immigration, ha ha, or something like that. But anyway, so be that as it may. So before we dive into the particulars, though, um, let me ask you this, Dave, what, uh, why do we even care? Like we're all in this conversation, we're taking it at the outset. The, the ideal world would be one where every piece of real estate is owned by private individual, you know, a person or, or a group of individuals, you know, a corporation or something. And then everybody, you know, there's no such thing as immigration policy. Just everyone sets whatever rules they want for who can come onto their land. And then, so why don't we just stick to that and just say, nope, that's the ideal. And you, you ask me what should be done. That should be done. End of story. I can't control politicians. Once we start getting into try to micromanaging them, that's like saying, you know, well, given that Israel's going to be bombing Gaza, should they target schools versus hospitals? And I don't know. I don't even want to participate in that discussion. There's no right answer or the Soviet union, given that they're going to have grocery stores centrally planned, you know, how many should be in Moscow? I'm not going to even get into that discussion because they, there's no right answer. That's stupid. So what, what do you, why are we talking about immigration policy? So why, why talk about like what's second best um, yes. to our ideal? Cause I agree with you that our ideal is that we'd be in Ancapistan and that there's no such thing as immigration. It, it would just be moving, you know, it would just be moving the same way we move within the United States of America, but with less red tape. Um, so I guess I would say that first of all, libertarians have always and all of us always talk about what's second best constantly if you if you read murray rothbard's political writing it's riddled with what's second best or third best or fourth best mm -hmm. um ron paul almost everything i shouldn't say that but so much of what ron paul would talk about was always what's second best i mean cutting federal spending is second best and the gold standard is second best and auditing the federal reserve is second best. And I mean, you, Bob, you know, you uh, talk a, bit, a lot about secession and Texas, yeah. but that's not what you really want. What you want is Ancapistan. But why are you talking about this? Because, well, OK, it's it's more feasible that it could possibly happen. And it's it's a possible path toward what might ultimately be better than that. And, you know, it's like there's this thing that libertarians do a lot some libertarians do a lot that just drives me crazy but it'll be like if you're talking about um hey i think there should be a two-state solution in between uh israel and, and palestine and then some like you know 
year one libertarian will go, well, I think there should be a zero state solution. And it's like, yeah, me too. But like, it's just not on the table right now that tomorrow everybody in Palestine and Israel is going to wake up and be like, we understand that a stateless private property based society is the way to go. And look, it's still pretty far that we're going to have a two-state solution, but that has at least been on the table. Like the UN partition plan did recommend that, and the Oslo Accords were, were kind of based off that. In Camp David, they at least discussed that. So it's at least like, okay, but this would be better than, you know, the, the status quo. And I think that in general, when it comes, like, look, I don't, I don't think that if a libertarian is just saying we need to privatize everything, we need to not have a state, and I'm not going to like really pick a beef with that person. The, the point is that there's a lot of libertarians out there who are arguing that everything being the same, an open border would be better than what we have now. And so if that's your point, or everything being the same no restrictions on private property and homeless people should be allowed to live on the public streets or something like that. If that's what you're saying, I'm saying I don't think that's the correct libertarian argument. And the reason I care about this, the reason why I think this is a fight worth having or a, a whatever, a, a discussion worth having. Is oh, it's that, a fight. Sure. Yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. But look, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Ron Paulian in the in, – the sense that I believe in spreading the message and convincing other people to, to, to consider, you know, libertarianism. Mm -hmm. now, there are libertarians who don't agree with that, um, but I, and whatever, that's a whole different debate that we could have. But mm -hmm. I do believe in like speaking to the remnant, trying to persuade as many people as possible. That's kind of what I do. I'm, I have no, I'm not like you have expertise in economics and we have lots of other guys. We have Scott Horton who has expertise in foreign policy and we have lots of people who have real expertise in different areas. I don't have any of the, the only thing in the libertarian world that I could claim any level of expertise in is how to present libertarianism in a compelling way that makes people think, oh, that's a really good point. And right now, okay, so the only way to do that in, from my perspective, is not just to talk about abstract theory. It's great. I love talking about abstract theory. That's what I want to talk to you about. I'm one of us. Like, we all love mm -hmm. this stuff. But mm -hmm. if you think about, like, why Ron Paul, who, you know, objectively, I think, has done a better job than anybody in, certainly in my lifetime, at getting people interested in these ideas. And when Ron Paul was up on the debates, in 2008 and in 2012, he didn't get up there and say, um, hey, everybody, I have this theory called the non-aggression principle, and I think it's morally illegitimate to initiate violence against peaceful people. And then everyone was like, whoa, that just blew my mind. You know, like, that's not how it happens. What, what he did was he talked about the crises that were facing the nation and explained them to people and said, okay, you know how the economy just collapsed? Well, this is why. And oh, by the way, he predicted that the economy was going to collapse for the exact reasons that it did. And he talked about why 9-11 happened. And oh, by the way, he predicted that for the exact reason. You know what I mean? And then he explained mm -hmm. why the war in Iraq was a disaster. And it kind of like under, had such a knowledge of history 
and understanding what the solu- what the cause to the current crisis was and what the solution was. And that's what libertarians need to do if they're going to effectively spread this message. And right now, we have a major crisis. Um, and it's, I, I see it as all kind of like an extension of the same thing. But according to most polls, immigration is either number one or number two. It's, it's almost all the money and immigration, inflation and immigration. And libertarians obviously have a lot of great stuff to say about inflation. Um, I think really the only group who even understands it are, are Austro-libertarians. Um, but when it comes to, say, like the immigration crisis right now or the fact that in every major uh, city or just about every major city across the country, they have these – horrific problems of like homeless encampments and human feces on the ground and needles on the ground. And just, uh, it, you have mass flight out of so many of these blue cities because of these problems. And I think that libertarians could have something really great to say about this. Like, look, this is all happening on government controlled property. And there, you know, there's, there's like a libertarian point to be made there. And instead I see a bunch of libertarians say the answer is you have to allow it. That's right. that the answer is that our position is open the border right now. Nothing else being different, just open the border. Or our position is, hey, if that guy wants to do heroin on a public sidewalk in front of everybody, that's uh, that's his natural right to do it. And I don't look, man, I mean, I, I don't think I'm really caricaturing this. Like you've seen oh, yeah. a lot of the responses yeah. I'm getting. This does and I just think, okay, number 1, I think that is not correct in terms of libertarian theory. And number two, it's like, it's a disaster. Like, oh my God, no one will ever listen to you and they will dismiss you forever if these are your positions and rightfully so, because they're just too insane. And so all, like, what I'm saying is that there are, for a lack of better, like, way to put it, there are certain things that are like an albatross across our neck that might be really difficult positions, but libertarians have to own it because that's our belief. You know, we believe heroin should be legal. And that might be very unpopular, but that's a fundamental libertarian belief that you own your body and you have a right to put in it whatever you want to. So we believe in that. And we believe that you have a right to discriminate, even in really ugly ways. And that's we. But this is not the correct libertarian position. And so we do not have to burden ourselves with this goofy belief that government property ought to have zero restrictions on it, which I will say, um, and I, I'm sorry, it's just hard to not, it, it takes a little while to explain this position because it's not something that fits on a bumper sticker. But I will just say that it's not, I, I'm not trying to, um, straw man. So it's not that there are a lot of rank and file members of the liberty movement who will actually tell you that they believe there should be zero restrictions on on uh, public property, uh, short of like all the restrictions that are on private property too. Like you can't violate people's natural rights on them or something. But that they're basically aside from that should be zero restrictions. But then there's also like a kind of professional, more prominent group of libertarians, like a lot of the Cato types, who they won't go as far as saying there should be zero restrictions on public property because they're adults with jobs and stuff and they can't, they know that's like totally ridiculous to say, but they will act as if that's a given when criticizing anyone 
who is like, no, I think mm -hmm. it's totally reasonable to have some some restrictions on, mm -hmm. on public property. Okay. Let me try to distill out some of the things you said there, make sure I'm not missing your point. So one thing I heard you say, I believe, is if someone wanted to take this the tack of just saying, you know what, guys, I'm I would just like to focus myself on what the the ideal is. And I'm just gonna sit here and write, you know, treatises on that or whatever, novels and so forth with Russian characters, that that's all it is. And you ask me, you know, is the capital, suppose we could cut the capital gains tax in exchange for raising the sales tax. And I'm saying, no, 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 I'm not getting into that discussion because that's lesser of two evils and that sort of thing. Um, you're fine with that because that person, like, he's not bothered. But if that person then says, oh, and I see Dave over there is saying that maybe it wouldn't be a, a gross violation if the cop told uh, you know, the heroin addict to please move along when he's at the kid's playground and that Dave therefore is a Nazi, then you're going to say, no, now it's not obvious that the correct libertarian position is what you're saying. So if you want to just stick to being very careful and like clearly, you know, in a world of private property, blah, 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 and just explicating the principles, that's very safe and, you know, go ahead and do that. But when you then start saying, and no one else is allowed to pontificate on second best things either, because then you're not a real libertarian. And again, that's the thing where you get, you get, uh, you, you think, no, that's, that's just a mistake. You're not allowed to then, if you want to just focus on the real safe stuff, go ahead. But if some of us want to talk to, you know, normal people and, and put things in frame in terms they or, or talk about principles or issues they care about, don't then police me, no pun intended, about what I'm allowed to say to them. Otherwise, I'm not a real libertarian. Yeah, more or less. I think that's about right. And and mm -hmm. I, look, I'm not going to attack that person if they want to do that. I think you would struggle to find anyone who does that who's actually reaching people and actually like, right. you know, bringing people into the movement. But if they are, then, mm -hmm. hey, great. I'm not like attacking anyone for doing that. I mean, I agree with all of that. Why would yeah. I get mad at you for saying the stuff that I agree with? But I do think that, Every serious libertarian who's actually trying to grapple with the real world doesn't just do that and actually talks about what's really going on in practical steps. And I would – the only other thing I would say is that, no, I'm not going to attack that person. But I would say that if we really do care about these ideas, and which I really do, and like they changed my life. I think they're some of the most beautiful ideas that I've ever come into contact with. Mm -hmm. So if we really care about these ideas, then I do think it's somewhat incumbent on us to be like, well, look, how do we marry these ideas with reality? Like, how do we move the needle toward these ideas? Because otherwise, I mean, if we're not doing that, then what is this? Yeah. This is all just some thought experiment in your head, and that doesn't mean anything. The whole point of it is that they can be applied to real life, and when they are, they work very well. So that, but yes, I think that's a fair, uh, uh, a, a fair reading of what I'm saying. Okay, and then two quick other reactions to what you said, and then we can move on to the fun stuff. The um, you had mentioned. That, that you're not, you know, saying, hey, in case it sounds like I am, I'm not strawmanning these people, and I, and I can independently confirm, folks, Dave is not putting words in their mouth. In fact, on one occasion, I won't say the guy's name, but one guy was you know, retweeting something Dave had done and thought that Dave had gotten into, you know, awkward territory, and oh, look at, look at what he's forced to say now, and I knew where this guy was coming from, and I said, okay, but just to be clear, your framework 
You're saying if the government told people waiting in line at the DMV that they couldn't be buck naked, you think that would violate their rights, right? And he said yes. That <laughs> Again, these are these are uh these are people in the libertarian movement. I mean, I'm not saying like necessarily, you know what I mean? And I don't want to just like, like, I don't want to just find the dumbest thing that was said on Twitter and then debunk that because you know what right. I mean? But, but there is something there where there were enough people saying stuff like this to me that it's like, whoa, we have a bit of an issue here right, in, in right. this movement and people need to like, th this stuff is juvenile and really repulsive. And like, what it just is, it's so ridiculous. I mean, if you were to take this to its logical conclusion, it's just, it's so insane to say that while public property exists, um, there should be no restrictions. So anybody, if there's a public school, if there's a public library, if there's a public, like anyone can just do anything they want there and can never be removed for any reason. And there are enough libertarians who will actually say yes to those questions. And uh, again, my thing is just that it, it would be, you know, this is framed. Well, can I, can things. I stop you? Sure, sure, let sure, me, let me just, so yeah, yeah, we, we we're, I want to jump into it because that's a real fun topic. And then again, I think it it illustrates how like you're kind of turning the tables on your opponents on this and showing the absurdity into which their principles lead them, at least vis-a-vis -vis your views and you know ninety nine probably percent of the people uh, in America with you know teachers. And we'll get to that in a second. But just let let's lay the the groundwork here why, why are we, we started out talking about immigration and open borders and now you're talking about ownership of government property. So what, what's the connection? Why, why does the issue over immigration arguments, do you think it, you know, it gets pushed back into a, a debate about how should libertarians feel about so-called public property? Well, because I'm, I'm trying to get at the root of what the theory is that they're, they're working off of. And, and, and just for the record, like I was an open borders libertarian mm -hmm. for, for many years. And because that just seemed superficially to be the correct answer. Like, I don't know, I don't want the government doing anything to anybody, you know? And I, I right. used to, if mm -hmm. you go back and you, if you find my old podcast episodes from like 2013 or 2014 or something like that, I'll be saying the same stuff that it when immigration came up that a lot of people are saying to me where the, uh, I w I used to say this I remember saying it uh that I go well look what is uh immigration that's just like a statist construct and what mm -hmm. is an immigrant that's just a statist construct or what is a citizen or what is it all of this is just a state and all you have I used to love the scene um in the movie blow where um uh, he's on, he's, he's on the stand or he's defending himself in front of the judge and he's about to go to jail. And he goes, uh, well, really your honor, I don't think I should go to jail. Cause when you think about it, all I did was move a plant over an imaginary line. And I thought there was mm -hmm. something really cool about that. It's like, yeah, that's true. It's just a, a guy moving over an imaginary line. So why should anyone, why should any government official with a gun a government officer with a gun have the right to like point at him and make him go back. That's a violation of the non-aggression principle, right? Like that was my first understanding mm -hmm. of this. So I understand where they're coming from. But the point I'm making is that you go like, okay. Um, and, and actually the first time I ever said this example was I had a guy who ended up becoming one of like the people who hated me the most and hated the Mises caucus guys the most. But at the time I had him on my podcast and we were kind of just having a friendly conversation about this. And this was around the time where I had started rethinking 
my mm-hmm. position on immigration. It's a little after I had started rethinking it. And he said that to me. It was like the same thing I used to say. He goes, well, how can any libertarian be against this? I mean, it's just a guy moving over an imaginary line. And I go, okay, but like, is the line, if the border's an imaginary line, well, is the line to like a public school an imaginary line? And so if, and this is the first time I ever came up with that thing, not that mm. it's that brilliant of a thing, but it was the, the first time I ever came up with it and said it out loud. And I said to him, I go, well, what if like some homeless meth addict just wants to go into a public elementary school and smoke meth in the third grade classroom around all the kids. Like, I mean, he just moved over an imaginary line and he's not doing it. He has a natural right to smoke meth. That's his decision, right? So should he have a right? And the uh, the guy said, he went, well, no, because uh, he's being disruptive. And And I was just like, okay, but look, like, that's not really a libertarian principle. Right. You can't do something that's disruptive and seems kind of arbitrary and like right. you just it's not kind the of MDP, make... the non-disruptive principle. Right, right. Like so it's just I'm just making the point that it's like this simplistic way of looking at the immigration issue actually doesn't completely follow. So it's not that that in itself proves the argument that immigration right. restrictions are okay, but it does seem to destroy like around 80% of the arguments that you get back at you when you say you're not for open borders as a libertarian. And so that's kind of just the point of it, that it's like, look, this is the fundamental thing. And this is what I got. Um, just to talk a little bit about my own evolution on this, on this yeah. issue. When I, I remember when I first became a libertarian and I became obsessed with it and it was just, re- this was uh, around 2007, Ron Paul Giuliani moment. And then I just started reading everything I could get my hands on and then found the Mises Institute and started reading all of you guys. And I, I was just totally obsessed with it. And I remember the first time, I was probably a libertarian for like a couple years before I first uh, had contact with the stuff Rothbard was writing in the 90s and Hans Hermann Hoppe's like immigration stuff and Lou Rockwell's stuff from the 90s. And I remember when I first read it, I just thought it was like a total deviation. I mean, I wasn't like a hysterical leftist about it, but I was like, this doesn't seem right. Like this is not Mm -hmm. consistent with everything Ron Paul's saying and everything Rothbard that I've read from before this. So this seems like a kind of weird deviation, but you know, I was just like, whatever. It's I don't really agree with that stuff. And this is between 2008 and 2012. So Ron Paul was still like the standard bearer of libertarianism. And I was like, well, he's saying everything correct. So I'm with this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of, I just like moved on. And then it wasn't till years later that I went back and kind of reread that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. It's, I I, kind of get what they're saying. And, and then I went back a third time and like reread all of that stuff. This was like around 2020. And I was like, they're right about everything. <laughs> like, yeah. all right, maybe not everything. Like there's a few things I disagree with Lou in the nineties on and with Hans, Hans Hermanapa on, but I totally get their point. And it's like, oh yes, this, this totally clicks with me now. And it makes sense to me. And I, mm-hmm. maybe I should just lay out the argument briefly, but it's, it's essentially. Yeah, go just, ahead. It, well, let, let me just mention, I had a similar thing with um when i was younger and i was totally into rothbard like i probably was in high school and then i read his he critiqued nafta and i just couldn't understand how could you be against free trade (laughs) right like that's how that's how naive i was you know and then later so anyway it's and and like i I think i didn't say in the beginning at the outset here so 
for sure, um, David, yeah, I recognize that the people who think they're blowing you up with one-liners, I want to say, no, the situation's a lot more nuanced, and your your guys' stated framework leads to absurdities. Like, I, I understand, you know, some of the th- awkward positions they think they're pushing you into, but likewise, it's with them, too. So, it, you know, right. at the very least, we shouldn't just be saying, the only reason someone could possibly disagree with me on this is that they're a racist or just stupid. Like, that that is not a fair conclusion to jump to. Well, the craziest thing to me is when people will respond with libertarianism 101. So, like, yeah. they'll say, like, you'll be like, well, I don't think, like, you know, there, I think there could be reasonable restrictions on, on public property. And they'll be like, well, how about we abolish public property? And you're like, yeah, yeah. no, I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm not unfamiliar with, yeah. let me tell you yeah. something. There's not too many classes that I got an A plus in, but in the classes of life, I got an A plus in libertarianism 101. Like I'm I'm familiar <laughs> with like the basic arguments and like the and I'm also t- I'm taking it's not it's not my position. I just was convinced by Ron Paul and uh Murray Rothbard, late Murray Rothbard and Hans Hermann Hoppe and Lou Rockwell and Tom Woods and guys like this. And so mm-hmm. if you're telling if you think that those people don't understand libertarianism 101, like I don't Murray Rothbard invented libertarianism 101. I don't think the issue is right. that he doesn't get that the goal is to privatize everything. Um yeah. but so here is the position and and this is more or less what I was convinced by late Rothbard and and Hoppe and Lou Rockwell. Is that look, you have this dynamic with um, public property. And really, if you start from libertarian principles, the basic libertarian principles, which are self-ownership, private property rights, the non-aggression principle, you really can't draw a straight line from that to there should be no restrictions on government property. Like, Like the only line you can draw from that is that it should be privatized. Now, exactly how it should be privatized is is tricky. It's not like every way that it could be privatized is correct. It's not that we think that if all government property was turned over to China tomorrow or Chinese businesses tomorrow, that would be correct. You know what I mean? But you do realize that it ought to be privatized. But there's really nothing in libertarianism that you can deduce what the restrictions on public property ought to be other than what the restrictions on private property are, like that you can't violate people's natural rights, like, you know. If I'm over at your house for a dinner party and I say something that pisses you off, you can tell me I have to leave, but you can't, you know, like beat me over the head with a club because I pissed you off. So we can say that, that government can't do that to people, but it's almost treated as this unexamined given that because it's the government's or or because the government is currently controlling it, that therefore it should be treated as unowned property with no restrictions, which is just that, that doesn't follow. It's nothing like unowned property, and there's no reason why it belongs to everyone else. And if we understand that everything government has, it's stole, and that government essentially has nothing except its property, because other than government property, all it has is like the, the ability to rob more people or the ability to counterfeit their currency. All they have is this property. But it doesn't follow from that, that therefore, because it was stolen, it belongs equally to the world. In the same way that like if someone, libertarian theory doesn't tell you that if someone mugged you and took your wallet, that wallet is now, belongs to Central America as much as it belongs to you. The the libertarian theory would say it should be returned to you. And Mm -hmm. the, the, 
Now, obviously, the waters get muddied when we're talking about the entire tax base and, and all of this. But still, it, it just – this doesn't follow. And in fact, it's the, – the truth is that like when, you, when we talk about libertarianism, most of the time, what we're saying is that, look, the government is allowed to do these things that if you or I did, we would be a criminal. I mean, and, and everyone would recognize that it's pure evil what we're doing. Like if, if I were to just start a bombing campaign in Iraq, you'd be like, what? Mm -hmm. Dave just murdered a bunch of children. Or if you uh, were to start taxing people, you'd be like, you're just robbing people or you're, you're counterfeiting the currency or what, you know, you're imprisoning people, you're torturing people, whatever it is. But when it comes to this issue of restrictions on public property or even immigration controls, libertarians actually would have no problem with it. If a private person did this, you know what I'm saying? Like there mm -hmm. would be no issue if you were to say on your private property, hey, you can't do this or you got to leave. And there would be no issue that ANCAPs understand that borders for whatever privately owned community could be as closed as they want them to be. So it's not as if it's clear that closing government borders or just not having open government borders is like something that we wouldn't support in a libertarian order. So it's just – it's a different situation. And when you have th this dynamic where there is so much public property, I mean literally that it's not just the borders of the United States, but it, it leads up to every doorstep of every individual's house or at least their, their lawn or whatever, um, you go, oh, wow. Well, now a compulsory opening of these borders is really – as bit the government doing something to people as a compulsory closing of these borders. The, the example that I like to give is I go, so imagine, imagine a private city block. And by the way, the, the, the best example of this is there's Gramercy Park in New York City, which is, okay, it's not completely private. Like the sidewalk technically is still, and the street is still government property. But there's this private square block that for, me, uh, for many years was the most expensive real estate in the United States of America. I'm not sure if it still is. But they basically, there's all these, it's like a very wealthy area with all these like uh, doorman apartment buildings. And then there's a park in the center of it. And it's a private park. You only get a key to it if you live in one of the buildings. And it is, shockingly, Bob, the nicest park in New York City, right? Like there's no, if anybody comes into it, they get removed and they, you know, like there, you have to live there and, and it's just nice families and it's a nice little park that they have there. And so like, if you could imagine, say like a privately owned street where maybe the residents own the, the sidewalk and street that's in front of their house. And let's say like a bunch of homeless people wanted to come camp out there. And the, the private owners were like, no, you have to leave. As libertarians, we would all support that. You know, like it's, mm -hmm. they have a right to do that. They have a right to use whatever force is necessary, no more than that, but whatever force is necessary to make those people leave if, if they won't. And we kind of know how this works in private parks. They, they don't let junkies just come shoot up there. No, you got to mm -hmm. go. So now let's say the government came and seized that area and said, this is public area. And then they allowed the junkies to come in and shoot up there. Well, you could look at that and say the government's doing nothing. They're not doing anything to these junkies. But by doing nothing after seizing control of it, they're doing something. And if all of the people who lived on that block don't want that, then that's also something libertarians shouldn't support. And like 
if if there were like some little borders around those those blocks that stopped some of the homeless junkies from coming in and shooting up and then libertarians were like my position is open those government borders you'd go no that's not right at all and actually i'll say in this example closing them is better than opening them because that's a closer approximation to how we know this would be if it were private so that that's like mm -hmm. essentially the the bones of the argument okay great yeah i i don't know that i've heard you make that specific illustration i think that that's a good one to work with so let me just repeat it back to you the essence of it to make sure i'm getting it so you're saying you know start out in the, in the original situation where it's a, you know, a little island of ANCAP a stand inside a broader, you know, state controlled society. And then the government moves in and what was a, pr a purely private park uh, where the owners did not let people come in and, uh, you know, shoot up and whatever and, and flash their genitalia in front of six year olds that was not allowed. And then the government comes in and seizes control of it. And, and then starts putting on policies in place. And so, you know, how should libertarians react to this situation? So clearly we all agree the first best thing would be for the government to give the park back to the residents. And if it had assets that were not them, themselves derived from other criminal activity to compensate them, you know, for the suffering and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. But at the very least return what's theirs to the people clearly. For, but if for some reason, oh, that's not on the, in the cards, you know, that's not politically feasible. People aren't going to go along with that public opinion or whatever. Okay. So now what else should we say about it? And your point is there's nothing in standard libertarian theory that says, well, the only thing, given that the government's going to retain control of it, the only way to not further violate rights would be to open up the floodgates and just let anyone hang out in there. And if people want to flash themselves in front of six year old, Hey, as long as the guy doesn't actually initiate aggression, then, you know, what, what, what's the problem here? And you could just, you know, check your conservative values at the door, buddy. This is crazy. What is, you know, what, this is, uh, you know, not, you're not a televangelist, are you? Right. So th that's, um, right. So, so that, that's your position. So from that, it doesn't immediately follow what the correct thing to do is the correct second best thing. But your point is clearly we can't just assume it means, Oh, given the government's going to maintain uh, control, legal control or whatever, I guess the critical thing is they're preventing private people, right? Because because that's the thing too. A lot of, I think there's a rhetorical sleight of hand which people say, no, I think the government should do nothing. And it, Dave wants to empower agents of the state. And no, no, no. I think we can all agree, even if the government literally maintain, or sorry, nominally maintain private, or sorry, ownership, legal ownership, and the, and the, 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 the deeds or whatever said, the state of or the city of New York is the owner of that land. But the residents soon came to realize if we go and physically remove, no pun right. intended, meth addicts, the cops aren't going to mess with us. They'll let us do whatever we want. So we kind of can de facto have, can, but that's not what they do either. No, the cops will shut you down and they'll say, you can't do that. You don't own this land. That's our job. Right. And now we are going to choose to do nothing. So th that's what I mean. So even the do nothing option isn't do nothing in the, uh, the the open borders libertarian perspective because because yeah. and it applied to immigration and that's remember Dave it took us folks a while to pin down two of the leading open borders advocates on this but we did get at least one of them to come out and say explicitly he wanted the federal government to stop the Texas government from restricting the flow of migrants so it's not a do nothing policy it is no the federal government in that case he was saying should use its force 
to, you know, intimidate and stop and physically stop people in Texas from doing it. So, yeah, so that's again, and, yeah, and go ahead. To be clear, he didn't, um, we're talking about, uh, um, Chris, uh, who, uh, um, what's his last name? I'm sorry. I'm blanking on his last name. Is but, that like Freeman or something? Freeman. Chris Freeman, who, by the way, I've agreed uh, to do a debate or a podcast with or something. And I'm happy. You know, he sent me some of the stuff he's written on it. And we actually mm-hmm. ended up having a decent exchange at the end of it. And I'm, I'm happy to talk to him about this. I actually thought there was something really interesting in one of the pieces that he, he sent me. Um, but now, to be clear, he didn't spell out exactly what he's comfortable with the federal government doing in order to achieve that end. But he did say that the federal government should stop Texas from building a fence to protect right. themselves. So yeah, yeah like maybe not send the Texas National Guard to Guantanamo Bay or something. Yes, you know, or what use, type yeah. of force you're even re- just immediately forget punishing them after the fact, but like what force yeah. you're ready to use to like barge in there and for, you know, I mean, right, I, look, right. so yes, that's, that's right. There's also this element of, it's not as if the government just takes over and then does nothing all around. In fact, the government takes over and says, we have a monopoly on who can do anything here. And you are not mm-hmm. part of that monopoly. So that, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Okay. So I think, you know, that, that, and, and then we don't probably need to dwell on it now, especially given the time. Uh, but now people see why you, you get into the school situation because they're like, it's a much easier, like, given that there's public schools. And I know we're going to get people emailing me. No, Bob, they're government schools. I, I know. Whatever. Um, I know. <laughs> so then, you know, does it follow that therefore we we oh, and again, we're not, it's not a straw man that there are people who will say, you know, they'll bite the bullet and say, yeah, you can't, you know, the school cannot post adults at the doors to stop random 50 year olds from walking in and, you know, hanging out in the girl's bathroom. Yeah. Because, hey, people have a freedom of movement, and this is a, there are people, we're not putting words in their mouth, they're actually saying that. And so Dave's point here is that that's, that doesn't, number one, that's not going to fly with the public. And so given that part of the point of second best solutions is to, you know, meet people where they're at, as they often say in, you know, church circles, uh, and then try to pull them towards liberty if you start out by saying, okay, so first of all, you know, convicted pedophiles can come into girls' bathrooms uh, in public school, like that for many people is, is going to be a non-starter. And I've actually had some people argue with me that that's good because then it will discredit the state and then everybody will realize how bad public property is. And it's like, yes, that's a great strategy right there. Libertarians advocate that pedophiles are allowed in public schools. And then when that's a disaster, which there's a small chance it might end up being a disaster, yeah. I'm sure people will go, you know, the people advocating that those pedophiles came into my daughter's school, I got to go with them. They won't just blame us and demand right. that the state kick these people out. They'll then the libertarian revolution. This is why I compared it to communism, Bob, because it, like mm-hmm. to me, that is on the same level of like saying, hey, if we just have a dictator of the proletariat, then ultimately the dictator will decide to wither away the power of the state and give total equality to all of mm-hmm. the people. I mean, it's just like this is so goofy that anybody who has this view is just like, I don't know, me and you aren't the same thing. I'm not saying like you're not a real libertarian. If you say I'm not a real libertarian, sure. If that means I'm not a libertarian, then I'm not one, you know. But I think I'm on firm 
like ground with all of our best yeah. thinkers that actually that's not at all what we're talking about. And to be fair, guys like uh, Chris and guys like uh, Alex Nor, uh, I never know how to pronounce his I don't his know how to pronounce name. his name either. And I'm not, I don't mean that as a slight. <laughs> we don't get along, but I don't mean that as a slight. I just don't know how to pronounce his name. But I don't think that, um, I don't think they would say that. I know Chris doesn't say that. He has something else that he says. Um, but I'm just making the point that there are libertarians out there, and I, I think that type of stuff is just it's it's immature and goofy, and and mm-hmm. we need if we're going to be a serious movement, which we should be, because these ideas that we have are like beautiful and serious, and are you know like the best of the school of of like economic thought and and all of this stuff. It's like okay, we need to shake off some of this goofy stuff because that's not part of it, and there's no need for it to be. Yeah. Okay, let me. I promised people I was gonna. Be, this is gonna be a hard hitting interview. Right now, I'm like Tucker and you're Putin. So let me get. <laughs> I can go longer, by the way. I know I, it's taken a okay. while to to do this, but we can go as long as you want to. Okay, yeah, and and I I feel the same way too. So okay, so we don't have to have a hard stop. But yeah, let's get into. So, what about someone saying, "Okay, Dave." So by the same token, then why can't the government just say? You know, clearly after school shootings and stuff, there's a public outcry for common sense gun control. So why can't the government just say, you know what, you cannot transport an assault rifle, however that's defined, uh, on any roads or, you know, you can't use any public property whatsoever. If you could somehow assemble it in your house, you could do it, but by the, but the components can't go through the U.S. mails either. Yeah. Uh, and so, but other than that, you know, go ahead. We're not violating the Second Amendment. We're just setting some rules on on government property. Right. So the I think the point is that you like, and and as Hoppe himself would admit, and I'll certainly admit that none of this is perfect. Like w- mm-hmm. when libertarians are talking about how public property or government property, I should say, ought to be managed. Obviously, inherently, none of these are going to be perfect answers. And the only perfect answer is Ancapistan and that we privatize everything. And then, but look, in Ancapistan, we would actually say that people are allowed to do that on their private property. They're allowed to say this is a gun-free zone or you can't bring guns mm-hmm. in here. The, the mm-hmm. point is that what, what you get a lot, and, and, and this is true of what Chris was doing and what Chris Friedman was doing, and what a lot of those other guys do all the time, is that they take the hop of position, and they reducto ab absurdum it, and they go, ha-ha, disproved it. And like, okay, I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not saying that you can, but you, again, as we just demonstrated, you can also reducto absurdum the position of no restrictions on public mm-hmm. property, and what an insane nightmare of a society we live in now, if you do that. So the point of these reducto absurdum arguments, now I think a lot of people miss this, is that that doesn't actually win an argument. Like if you say to someone, you know, who's like, hey, uh, you know, $25 minimum wage, and you go, why not $1,000 minimum wage? Mm-hmm. That doesn't win the argument. It's the right. first step in the argument. Yep. It's, it's to get them to go, okay, so you do admit at a certain point, there would be an issue. And what is that issue? And why does that issue not apply now to a $25 minimum right. wage? But it's not as if, like, despite me and you knowing this isn't correct, the fact that $1,000 an hour minimum wage 
isn't a good idea doesn't necessarily prove that there wouldn't be an optimal level of where the minimum wage should be. Now, me and you both know that's that's not true, but that's right. for other reasons that you then have to explain after that. And the same reason why a thousand dollar an hour minimum wage is actually the same reason why a twenty five dollar an hour minimum wage is a bad idea. Look, like I like to have. Can, solved- can I jump in on that real sure, fast? Sure. So yeah, j- just to. You know, that was I love that's my perfect example for that principle that, yeah, that's not it's not, it doesn't end the conversation. But given the arguments, a lot of pro twenty five dollar an hour minimum wage people are making the arguments, the justification they're giving would also justify a thousand dollars. So the point of saying, right. well, then why not a thousand is to show them your framework is at best inadequate if not completely crazy. Exactly. And so then they come back because it got, because I've seen, you know, me saying that, then some people come back and say, okay, Bob, well, the doctor told me that I should take two aspirin every day. So why not take 2000 aspirin every day? And we say, right, exactly. Because presumably the doctor, if the doctor said, oh, take two aspirin every day, because the more aspirin you take, the better you'll feel, then it would be good to say to him, well, then why not 2000? And then he'd have to say, oh, right, because I didn't actually tell you the exact reason, yes, medical right. reason. Or if, you, da, 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 da. Yeah. if you were to say this doctor's a better doctor because he prescribed four aspirin instead of two aspirin, yeah. then it would yeah. make sense to say that. Or, you know, the example I always use is like I like a little salt on my eggs and someone goes, well, if you consumed a gallon of salt, you'd die. And you're like, yes, that is true. But like mm-hmm. that doesn't disprove that I can't put a little bit of salt on my egg. But the point I'm making here with this is it's more like – if you consumed a gallon of salt, you'll die. And if you don't put any salt on your eggs, you'll die. Like you can reducto absurdum this in both directions. So what's the conclusion from that? The conclusion is like, okay, we need some reasonable standard of restrictions on public property. There's got to be some reason. And for all of the people who reducto absurdum hoppa all the way, I always go, okay, so what's your standard? And by the way, I'll read this, and I don't mean to even like throw him under the bus because I'm going to uh, – um, oh, I thought I had this right up in front of me. Maybe I don't. Yes, I do. Here you go. Okay. So the the um, uh, Chris Freeman, what he said, he had a piece where he said obviously there need to be some restrictions on, on, public, pri- um, on public property. And this was after he was reducto absurdum uh, hapa and talking about mm. how terrible the logic is because this could justify all of this and all of that. And mm. so his standard, and this is a quote, he said, the state is justified in enforcing only those restrictions on the use of public property that are needed to ensure its functioning. I can't see <laughs> so how that could like, be abused. Like what? Yeah, I mean, you could drive a truck through that hole. Like what? I, I mean, by the way, and I said to him back, I go, that could justify immigration restrictions. That right there, the standard you just set, especially under current situations where people are flooding in. And again, th- this is the key libertarian point here, right? Is that, y- you know, people act like it's a violation of your rights. But I don't think I have the right to go sleep on a public street. I don't think that would be a Mm -hmm. violation of my right to be told I don't. And the question is, why is this such an unexamined given that people have the right to come here? I mean, certainly from the libertarian perspective, if you are invited here, like, you know, then yes, you have the right to come. But if you're not invited, and we can get into the definition of invited because this is something that's really interesting that Hoppe yeah. uh, touches on. Yeah, I want to get into that in a second. Sure. Mm-hmm. But if you're not invited, 
why exactly do you have a right to come onto property that you don't own? I mean, uninvited people who enter property they don't own is what libertarians would call trespassers. Why exactly is it like that, that this is a violation of someone's rights? I don't think, by the way, I don't think the cop has a right to beat a drug addict over the head if he's in a playground, a public playground. But I do think he has a right to tell him to leave. I don't think that that drug addict has a right to hang out in a space that's for children. And I, again, yeah. this is just, to me, this is such common sense. I don't think there's anything radical about what I'm saying. Human Action Podcast listeners, you can enter in to win free attendance to an upcoming Mises Institute event. 2024 marks the 75th anniversary of Mises' great economic treatise, Human Action. And in honor of this occasion, the Mises Institute is holding a special conference on May 16th through the 18th. Scholars from around the world will be there, including Guido Holzman, Bob Murphy, Joe Salerno, Tom DiLorenzo, and more. Visit Mises.org slash HARaffle to enter into a drawing for free admission to the event. If you're a student, scholarships are also available at Mises.org slash HA24. Now back to the action. So let, let me have, I have two thoughts on the, the, the argument people were deploying against you to say, why couldn't we, the government just say uh, you can't transport firearms on any public property? And then would that be de facto, you know, getting rid of the Second Amendment? So one thing is, I don't think it's crazy if the government's, you know, like, so there's a public school and uh, as uh, the meet your parents day or, you know, when the, I forget what that's called, you know, when the, when the kids' parents come in and, and go around or whatever. And if some guy tries to go in the school and the school doesn't know, you know, oh, that's Sally's dad. And he's got a rifle slung around his shoulder and them saying, no, sir, you got to leave that in your car. You can't bring that in here. I wouldn't think that was a huge violation of his natural liberty if they said that. Right, they say you know clearly. I, I get that. It doesn't mean I'm for gun control, right. yeah. or like, or you know, a, a court. You know, like oh, geez, I got to go testify in court or something. And I can totally see why they wouldn't want people walking into the courtroom to be packing, right? That they could have you know <laughs> procedures right. at the outset to make sure people going into the courtroom aren't armed. And I wouldn't think that was you know a huge violation uh, of the Second Amendment. So. Anywhere people so the are, point, right, but the point yeah. is that it comes down to what's reasonable. Like that's really what you're yeah. saying here. And I understand that this is this is difficult for libertarians because we like having a perfect, irrefutable, logically mm -hmm. consistent claim. Like that's our whole philosophy. But you're in an area here of imperfect solutions where you got to just kind of go off of like, eh, what is reasonable? Look, dude, they're cra schools are crazy these days. I mean, I, my, th this is a uh, true story. Okay. So my daughter, I mean, it's not a public school, but my daughter is in th this school and they had a thing for, um, it was uh, last Halloween. And so they do a whole thing. It's like outside the school where they do like a little like a uh, kind of trick or treating thing. Like all the parents bring in candy and the mm -hmm. kids go around for each one. And they did like a little like like uh, I forget exactly. They all walk out in their costumes and they do a cool thing. And then they went into the school and my daughter's best friends, they're these twin girls and they live like uh, on our block and they, they all go to the same school. And I'm outside with my wife and my son, and she went up to go get the kids because um, they went back into the school. And she goes, oh, I'll just grab, you know, I'll 
she went to say, I'll, I'll bring your daughter down too. Because we're all, and the teacher had just seen us. We're all downstairs mm-hmm. together. And they wouldn't let her take my daughter down. And they made me mm-hmm. go up into the school and go get her because they're like, I'm sorry, it's just, it's our rules. We can only mm-hmm. give the kid to their parents. Or if you right, like right. tell us that their grandparents are picking yeah. them up yeah, today yeah. or say, you mm-hmm. know, there's like crazy restrictions like that because it's just, it's better to be really safe than ever right, sorry right. in these type of situations. Right, and right. so, okay, the government's doing it, but still, you know, you, you just want to err on the, side of safety. And so, yeah, you just go, why is it reasonable to not let people bring loaded weapons into courts? But it wouldn't be reasonable to say you can't ever have it in the trunk of your car. Like, because it's just reasonable. I don't know, like, what, how else to describe it, but because it's like, we got to live in a sane, imperfect world. Yeah. And also too, just let, real quick on that thing, and uh, the road issue. And I want to get to, like you said, the, the invitation uh, concept. But also, too, and I posted this on Twitter, and it was funny with all these things, like like half the people, well, not half, there's no matter how much you think you're rigging the scenario to show, look, guys, this is crazy, right? That no, there's some people that will just bite the bullet and say, yep, yep, what's your point? But I said, okay, if I'm hearing some of the arguments correctly on this, then you're also going to say, given that the government owns the roads and the bridges, it would be a violation of natural rights for them to put up stop signs or to charge a toll to cross a bridge. And it's because that would be restricting people's freedom of movement on government property. You can't do that. And, you know, for one thing that would discriminate against poorer people if, if there was a toll on a bridge. So clearly, uh, you know, no stop signs, no stoplights give And, and someone were like, yep, yep. I like what you've done here. Mm-hmm. And Dude, I, can I just tell you one quick yeah. thing? And I'm sorry, cause I know this will go longer than we were supposed to go, but there's just no way not to on this. But so I had this Twitter exchange and dude, you guys can go back and find it, but it's up there. I didn't delete anything. I don't think he did either, but it was with a current, the current libertarian candidate for uh, president, uh, Chase Oliver, who, um, is, uh, you know, kind of like the woke candidate running for the LP this year. And this was when I took this the radical position that I took, which was based off an experience I had when uh, I I briefly moved back to New York City in late 2021 um, when my son was having uh, surgery. And um, by the way, a lot of people while I was complaining about it, they're like, well, if you don't like the city, why don't you move out of the city? And it's like, yeah, I did. I did move out of the city and I bought a house in the country, but my baby needs open heart surgery and the best place in the world to do baby open heart surgery happens to be in Manhattan. And so, you know, I thought that was kind of an important value you know, to like mm-hmm. save my kid's life. And I needed my then three-year-old daughter to be close to us because he was in the NICU for a month and every day I had to race back and forth between my two kids. Um, so anyway, but I was taking my daughter to the playground on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and there's like strung out, passed out junkies on the benches. And I was like, this is just like an outrage. And they should be removed. Like, I don't know. We have these cops. We're forced to pay for this service. Could they just do the most basic thing and like remove it so the kids don't have to like see them? And then everyone's like, oh, Dave called the cops to come abuse this person, which I didn't. I never called the cops. I didn't say that. I was just like, man, it would be nice. If someone did something like, about this. Is there this. a Karen around here when you need one? Yeah, really, yeah. I mean, like, I'm not going to be the Karen, but, like, I sure yeah. would like a Karen right now. But so he said something to me about how he goes, you want to play uh, Judge Dredd, 
and you want to decide who can do what and you want to have the cops do this. And that's, uh, you know, something about how it's unlibertarian. And by th- this was years ago, but I'm telling you, if you go find this Twitter exchange, it was something like this. And he goes, uh, I go, wait a minute. So like, you're telling me I would be, this is a violation of libertarian principles to do this. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. And I said, okay, like we're playing libertarianism 101. I'm really good at libertarianism 101. So let's like, let's talk about this. And I go, are, are you a, an anarchist or a minarchist? And he said, I'm a minarchist. And I go, okay, so do you believe cops should prosecute people who commit murder? You know, like, do, do you think that's okay? And he goes, yes. But because I'm a libertarian, they have uh, due process and they get to go to a court and be judged by a jury of their peers and blah, 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 blah. And I went, okay, cool. Let's play libertarianism 101. So you believe that a gang funded off stolen money from unwilling uh, uh, donations, you know, like at the threat of violence. You must fund this gang or you will be thrown in a cage. And you believe that they have the right – he said in the thing that he believes innocent until proven guilty. And then I said, mm-hmm. so you believe they have a right to kidnap a, an innocent person because he hasn't been convicted of anything yet. Right, you believe right. they can kidnap an innocent person, enslave this innocent person, hold him in a cell like a slave until a court – that is also funded by stolen money. You know what I mean? And they decide that he's guilty. And so just like go through the whole thing. It's like, yeah, we could play libertarianism 101. Sure. None of this is good. But are any of us going to say that under current circumstances, murderers shouldn't be charged? We should ju- it should just be allowed to be murdered when there's no private alternative to possibly deal with the situation? So it's just like, it's that type of stuff where you're like, yeah, you're not being as clever as you think you are when you're playing this libertarianism 101 game. Yeah. And that last clause you added there is critical that, because I would be willing to white bite that bullet when people say, what should the government and say, right, I don't think they should prosecute murderers and be like, what? And I said, but also if private arbitration and, you know, defense agencies arose, I don't think the government should yeah. stop them either. Right. You get what I'm saying? And so what what really makes no sense, though, is to say the government should be, you know, scanning the horizon, beating down any possible competitors in the law and order business, but then also turning a blind eye when, you know, BLM riots are going down or right. something. Right. And then and then calling right. that laissez-faire or whatever, you know, that that's nutty. So, um, okay. So let's get into the, well, let me just, I know, cause I know people are going to, they're going to say, all right, Dave, you've fleshed out like the, the, the framework that you're going to use, but then, okay. So how is it, what principles do we use to determine then what the government should do? Is it just to try to best guess what the, if it were privately held, what people would do with that land? Is, is that the criterion? You know, I kind of, well, look, I mean, if we're, if we're, thinking about this in terms of libertarian principles. And I know people, this uh, triggered a lot of libertarians because I said something about the government doing this against the will of the people. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of like the will of the people. What are you like uh, d- a Democrat now? I mean, you know, little D like, the what do you D? support yeah. democracy now? Um, and the, you know, I, the point I'm making is that, look, it's not, we're libertarians are against democracy in the sense that we don't believe people ought to be able to vote 
on what other people do with their property or with their persons or, you know what I mean? Like we don't think people ought to be able to vote on other people's natural rights and whether they get them or not. But if we're talking about the government stealing from me and doing something with what they stole from me, if it's against my will, then that does kind of mean something to libertarians. And so I do think at least an element of it should be what the people want. I'm not saying that's a pure principle that you can deduce everything from. You can reducto absurdum that into bad areas. But like if there's a town that's 99% Christian and 1% Jewish and the government is going to put up either, you know, they're going to make the official religion Christianity or Judaism, you could say it's less it's, – it's, violating less people's rights or something like that to if they put make it christianity rather than judaism the perfect scenario again is that they don't do either but mm -hmm. you know so i think that i don't have one standard that i think applies across the board i think it's kind of like what's closer to what we would expect under a private situation what doesn't go against what everybody believes and just kind of what's in reason with, com you know, like just common sense. I think all of those things. And the other big thing is I think we have a right as libertarians to, when we're talking about these things that aren't libertarian principles and aren't natural rights to say, Hey, what's in the best interest of a libertarian future, you know? And, and mm -hmm. again, that also has to be applied within reason, but let, let's just say hypothetically, Bob, since I don't really believe in voting rights and democracy, if there were somehow you could make this happen, I know it's a far-fetched idea, but if there was a law that said only libertarians can vote in the next five elections, I'd support that. Like, I mean, I know that that's not exact, like, I know that's not going to happen and that's not practical, but just saying like, I don't know, I don't believe in voting rights anyway. So if there was a law that said only people who believe in liberty get to vote and this is going to lead to a much drastically much more libertarian society yeah why the hell am i supposed to pretend that i would oppose that I, absolutely so anyway i i don't have like a perfect answer but i think my point is that no one really has a perfect answer to this so i think it's within reason to look at if you poll open borders and the best polling I've been able to find it, because no one even ever asked the questions, by the way, because it's so unpopular that right, it's never right. even asked in any of these polls. Do you support zero restrictions on immigration? The questions are always like, do you support more restrictions or less restrictions? Or do you think there's a crisis mm -hmm. at the border of this? The, but it's over 90 percent. I think, you know what I mean? Like it's oh, the overwhelming majority of the country does not support open borders. Nobody other than a goofy libertarian will ever run on open borders. And because they know even AOC or someone like that would never dream of saying right. I'm for open borders. Nobody will do it. It's so unpopular that you couldn't find more agreement on any issue in this country than no, we don't support open borders. And if that's the case, you got almost every property owner in the United States of America. And by the way, the ones who are for open borders, I'm going to venture to guess are disproportionately don't own a lot of property. Um, but that's speculation. But almost every property owner in this country does not support open borders. 
And so if the libertarians are saying in our, in our ideal world, the property owners are the ones who would decide who can come and can't come, I do think it's reasonable to go, well, then a government policy that would be opposed by almost every single property owner is not the libertarian solution. Yeah. And just to tie back to something you said early on in this discussion, uh, you said, look, sometimes, you know, on some issues where it really is a clear cut, bright line, the libertarian view on this topic is wildly unpopular, but we shouldn't hide who we are. But you're like, for example, when Gary Johnson um, with the whole bake the cake thing, right? And he was like, oh, that, or like the Civil Rights Act came up and he was just like, no, to, to say that businesses should be able to discriminate, that's just a non starter. I'm not even going to. And I thought that was a, a wrong on his part. Like, I get why you wouldn't make that the centerpiece of your TV ads. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to go out of your way to volunteer. But if somebody asks you point blank, you should. Now, in fairness to Gary Johnson, he may not have known what the libertarian position was. So um, I'll give him that. But, but my, he, my also, point, he also backed off in the same one of legalizing heroin. There was this one debate where he was like, we should mm -hmm. end the drug war. And then someone said, you know, something about heroin. And he went, well, OK, let's legalize weed and not heroin. So, like, I understand he was oh, trying. Oh, I didn't even hear that one. Yeah, it's, I, I, I understand he was trying to, like, look, I don't I, I want to pick something that could maybe get yeah. voters about that's not my position like i'm saying that like we but the reason also there's also look there's one the main reason for me is that those are our principles and we believe in we mm -hmm. believe in freedom and it's it's that is kind of a binary like we're either free people or we're slaves and if the government can tell you what you can put in your own body then we're slaves and that's not what we're for we're for freedom you know and but also and as I've gotten older, I, I, I consider the consequentialist arguments a lot more than I used to, where I used to just be like a first principles guy. But it's also mm. that, look, I can defend that and I can try – I can argue why this will actually make the world a better place. Now, this will actually – look, dude, I mean we have 100,000-plus OD deaths a year in this country. And it's all because they're buying fentanyl in the black market. They don't even know how much of it they're getting and people are dying over it. It's horrible. And that would go away if we legalized all the hard drugs. And so like you can make an argument over that. But I mean to make an argument that all things being the same, we just open the borders right now. This is going to be such a disaster for the country and for the prospects of liberty. And that is, I mean, I don't know if we have enough time to go through all of this stuff, but I know there's a lot of the Cato guys who like make the consequentialist arguments for why immigration is a net positive. And I think all of those arguments are so flawed. And it's like, it's unbelievable that these like, you know, they, they've turned into almost like these graphics that people just share. Well, Cato study says immigrants mm -hmm. contribute more than they take out or but I mean, it's just all nonsense, all nonsense. And uh, look, if you want to, we can get into all of this stuff, but I know there's, yeah, let, you know, let, you take it wherever the, you want to. The big thing is I, so let's do the, the Hoppe's thing about like, Hey, I'm not against immigrate. Like I'm not against foreigners coming into the current landmass of the U S but it has to be through invitation. So can you spell out either what you think his view is or, or preferably like what's, what's with the Dave Smith? Uh, I'm what sorry, is who, who said it has to be from immigration, uh, from invitation? You said Hoppe. Right, right. So th this is the point. So Hoppe's, and this is what Hoppe 
uh, put forward, which I totally agree with. I think in many ways would be the best second best option is that Mm -hmm. he said, look, we should have an invitation system where if you're invited, you can come. If you're not invited, you can't come. And if you're invited, but you have to be uh, the, to be an invitation, the person who invites you also has to like um, sign on to be liable for you know your uh, whatever your costs are. What, like none of it can be passed on to the taxpayer. Right, otherwise, like the five people on Twitter would say, "We invite the world." Come yeah, on, which guys. people do all the time, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then, and I know they love these like dumb memes where they'll share it to you, where it's like the houses, and it's like yours, not yours, not yours, not yours. And it's like. Yeah, but why do you get to invite everybody to not yours then? How many are you putting right. up in your house? So, look, I had this moment. Look, Hoppe used to say that um, – and he's, he's written about this – that he goes, look, just – the because a lot of people will make this argument too that they'll say, well, hey, if they have a job, then they're inherently invited. Or if they have a home, then they're inherently invited. But there's a lot of problems with uh, that argument. And the best – so I did a there, – there was – um. A few of like the the Mises caucus um, in the Libertarian Party uh, guys. This was like uh, I don't want to say like a, more than a year, maybe like a year and a half ago or something like that. I did a podcast with like some of these guys who were when I was putting some of these positions out, they were they were uncomfortable with them, and they were like, "Hey, man, like we're really for open board. We're hardcore libertarians. Like, you know how how are you compromising on this position or whatever?" And so I did their podcast, like three of them, and. We were talking about this, and so one of them told me, and this this was just like the best illustration of exactly what Hop is talking about that I've ever had. And so one of them was talking to me about. He was like, "Well, look, like he goes, my uh, his family, I guess, had a uh, like a, a small family farm, and they used to hire, you know, illegal immigrants, Mexicans who would work." on the farm. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it was great. They did really good work and, and blah, 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 and all of this. And like, why can't we as libertarians find a system where like that would be allowed, that they're allowed to do that? And I said, okay, well, how about Hoppe's position? Like, what if you guys would hire them, but you'd have to like agree that you'll cover their medical care costs, you'll cover the education for their kids, you'll cover this, you'll cover that. And he goes, well, yeah, but if we had to do that, we could never afford to hire them. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're not really inviting them. You're inviting them under the caveat that the taxpayer is going to pick up all of this stuff. But to a libertarian, how is that a meaningful invitation? Like you're inviting them, but you're you're assuming that other people who don't consent to this transaction are on the hook for all of this other stuff. And of course, you know, they pay it indirectly. I mean, we pay it in our premiums for our health uh, for our health insurance that, you know, you have to account for the fact that there's all, and, you know, I, by the way, I, I, I was a struggling comedian for a lot of years. I've known a lot of broke people and that's the thing people do. They go to the emergency room and they give fake information. I don't know if you've ever been in the emergency room, but if you don't have insurance at the end of it, they just ask you your information and there's no verifying it. They just ask you. And if you just give them false information, then there's just nowhere to ever bill you. And those costs get factored into how expensive medical treatment is at a hospital. And then that gets factored into what premiums for insurance are and all that. So it's just like, I think there's a real point to what Hop is saying that like, that's no, that's not a real invitation. And the other point that's weird to it is that also, what, since when is it like a libertarian principle that you can trespass on the hope that maybe someone will invite you? Once you're in, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I can break into your house and then hope you're cool with it. 
once I get there. And then like, like that's just not right. Yeah. Or like be a stowaway on a ship and then, but wait till I show them how I can cook. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just not, it's at the point of entry Were you invited or not invited. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that that's not a meaningful invitation, by the way, just to concede to, um, the other side of this, it is also absolutely true that it, that it's not a perfect libertarian situation short of that with border controls. And that if, if Bob, if you have a cousin who's in Greece and you invite him to come live at your house and the government is like, sorry, you haven't gone through the proper, you know, what, like when Alex, uh, nor which I can't say his last name, when he'll point out, he loves to post that image of all the steps you have to go through to become like a right. legal immigrant. He's got a point about that. It's insane. And like, if, if you're inviting your cousin from Greece to come live at your house, the government has no right to tell you he can't come there. You know what I mean? So like there mm-hmm. is, I do recognize that other side to it too, but I don't think it's it's legitimate to say that it's a meaningful invitation if you're p- passing off so much of this cost to the taxpayer. And by the way, I can hear the Cato guys being like, but they contribute more than they take out. No, they don't. That's not true. And well, we what's get into that. But though, go but, ahead, sorry. No, and just the, the only other thing I was uh, uh, just going to say is that it's also like – you got to recognize that we do live – and this is very unfashionable to say, but if we're going to be libertarians, let's be libertarians about this. It's not as if employers can not hire someone because they're an illegal immigrant or not hire them because of their nationality. It's not as if landlords cannot rent to someone because of their nationality. It's not as if we have real freedom of association in this country. And in fact, it's a you're risking huge lawsuits if you were to ever do anything like that. So it's just not – these are not true invitations by libertarian standards. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. So what I was going to say is the, so, so thanks for spelling that out that I think maybe the, you know, the Hoppian people or should stress that invitation element a little bit more, because I think a lot of people walking around believe that, Oh, Hans Hoppe's position is, only white Europeans are allowed in and everybody sure. else, like he really seems to have it out for Zulus. They're always coming up in his, his writings, uh, can't come in when, no, that's actually not his, that's not even, you know, that's not even his second best. His second best is like you say, given the government's control on the borders, whatever, it can be an invitation system. And so what, what's interesting is the, on the empirical question of if there really are hundreds of millions of people around the world who would be net, uh, contributors, fiscally to the, you know, to the U S jurisdiction, if they were to come in as they, you know, Cato people say, th- then fine, then they should be for the, you know, the Hoppian system. If under his approach, there would be eventually, you know, they could find each other, you know, with j- websites or whatever, and could match up people and they, they would be able to come in. Right? right. So the only people that wouldn't be able to come in are the ones that there doesn't exist. Anybody who'd be willing to internalize the externalities as they say. Right. And so that that's kind of, you know do you get what I'm saying that if suppose yes. you're wrong and the Cato studies are correct about the empirical stuff then that under Hoppe's approach those people are all coming in. So it's it's like it's the same thing as like when people say uh people say well people want to pay taxes and people like Medicare and people like social security it's like okay so let's make it voluntary. We'll find yeah. out really quickly how much people like this. Like, let's just let them ju- – it's a similar type thing where you're like, okay, so if that's what you're telling me, then great. Then this should be a great investment, right? There should be no problem for all of these uh, – um, you know what I mean? Like all of these people who want to um, uh, employ illegal immigrants, they would all – obviously because of market forces, which these Cato guys should understand, they'd be willing to, to um, 
to uh, what's the word I'm looking to, to sponsor them and take mm-hmm. full responsibility. Okay, so uh, what what about a, a similar type proposal of saying why aren't you just saying yeah have anyone can come in but would they get tagged some like not literally branded folks like cattle but somehow they're they're kept track of and they can't receive any kind of government assistance. Well, would I mean, you be okay with would that kind of minimize a lot of what the issue is that is problematic? It, some, but not all, because at the the bottom line is like either you're invited or you're not, and you don't have a right to enter property that you don't own uninvited. So, look, the the reality of the situation, which a lot of this again is dealing in reality, is like okay, what's more likely here though? Like, are you the the major issue, right? And I mean, there's a lot, but the hugest like costs are like that when, you know, and by the way, this is the problem. And I, I have, I'll confess, I have not looked into every study Cato's ever done, but I've looked into mm-hmm. a few of them and actually read through the details. And these things where they'll be like, immigrants don't take, they pay more in taxes than they take in welfare. It's like, yeah, but how do you define welfare? And they kind of end up defining it like the way you go like, oh, this guy's not working. He's on welfare. But that's mm-hmm. not exactly what libertarians mean when they say the welfare state. And you're not talking about all state services. You know what I mean? All taxpayer-funded services. And I, I saw two of these studies. They don't include education and emergency room care. And you're like, oh, those are the biggest drivers. Like, what? Dude, in New York City right now, where, by the way, the Democrat mayor of a blue sanctuary city is saying that it will destroy the city if these waves of immigrants keep coming in, and that's nothing like what's happening in the border states, but it's it's over $20,000 per student per year is, the, is what the taxpayer spends on public school. So if you're coming in with a couple kids, you're already so, I, I mean, you're already drawing out 40 grand from the taxpayer. So you would have to say that You know, what do you mean even when you say, oh, they wouldn't be allowed to get government services? Are you saying they can't drive on government roads? Are you saying the police aren't going to protect them? Are you saying the firefighters aren't going to put out a fire that's going down? Are you saying if they're bleeding out and they go to an emergency room, we're going to not treat them? Are you saying we're not going to take their kids in public schools? I mean, the reality of current America, whether we like it or not, is that that's just never going to happen. We're just we're, we're advanced mm-hmm. enough. And, and believe me, none of these services should be run by the state. But at the same right. time, it is a good thing that we've advanced morally enough that we're just not going to do that. We're, we're not the type of society who's ever. And, and by the way, this is another thing that like when massive waves of immigration did work, we were a different society. We were a society that was much more comfortable with death and despair. Where it was like, yeah, you can come over here, but like if your kid gets polio, your kid's going to die of polio and that's that. And we're going to – and like I'm not saying this is a bad – it's a good thing that we've progressed out of that. But we're just not as a society going to say we're not going to force emergency rooms to treat you. We're not going to force public schools to – So what you're saying is immigrants can come in if we give them some polio first. It worked. It's worked in the past, Bob. That's what about small? <laughs> what about blankets infected with smallpox? Well, that, listen, I, that's that whole thing seems like a myth to me. I don't think they knew about <laughs> germ warfare back then. But but listen, uh, but you you get my point, right? Like it's it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. it's just that just isn't 
practical. And if we're talking about practical solutions, I don't think that's one that that's feasible. Okay. Okay. That's, um, I know people are going to be thinking I'm just lobbing you softball here, but it's, it's hard. Like, I think everything you're saying is quite reasonable and you're, you know, you're being humble and saying it's not that you have the the silver bullet here. It's just, no. this is the framework and this is a messy thing. Okay. So what if somebody says something like this to you? Okay, sure, Dave, but you know, there's, you agree. The reason you're not just sitting on your laurels and advocating the first best solution is because all the public won't go for it. Uh, and then even Hoppe's next best thing of uh, invitation only also isn't that kind of, you know, that's not going to happen next Thursday either, like just sure. even to get the infrastructure. So that's not really on the table either. And an, a third best of let anybody come in, uh, you know, maybe you do a background check and make sure they're not serial killers or something in their country of origin, but let them come in, but just make sure that they don't, they can't get food stamps and that if they have kids here, then those kids don't automatically get to go to play and blah, 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 blah. They could be second class non-citizens. That's also not on the table, as you say. So, you know, it, it seems like at some point we're just getting all drowned out in the noise and what we're going to be able to advocate for is going to be the ninth best thing. And so given that we're kind of a minority anyway, why don't we just say what the right thing is and let the cards fall where they may, or the chips well, fall where they may. Let the cards fall too while we're at it. Well, look, I mean, again, if we go back to the beginning, that my my main goal here is not what the political strategy for a political solution is to these problems. It's more that I think we need to wake more people up and convert more people to our cause, to being libertarians. Mm -hmm. And so I think, again, like I said at the beginning, I think in order to do that, you have to be able to grapple with the real world, with the real crises that are in front of you. And I will say that I think it's important for libertarians to not like completely abandon plan A. You know, you always want to kind of be pushing people more into the libertarian direction, and you don't ever want to stop talking about how the real goal is to, you know, abolish the state and how the real goal is to have a libertarian society and all of that. And granted, you know, um, that, uh, again, I'm not saying that you should only be talking about the second or third or fourth best option. So m my point is that you you have more of a chance of winning people over to your side if libertarians have tangible solutions for what's actually happening and something that's somewhat achievable. And whereas mm -hmm. just saying live in anarcho-capitalism isn't enough, it's good to, to want that and it's right, good to right. introduce these ideas. Like I'm not sitting here and telling you, Bob, you should stop writing about anarcho-capitalism and how it would right, work. Right. Like please don't mm -hmm. do that. Continue to do that. But also you can talk about this and like I'll say this, right? One of I mean, I was already converted. I was already a libertarian before this point. But one of the things, like when I first became a libertarian, I, I was, I questioned it a lot. Like I had just converted to libertarianism, if you could put it that way. But I was still constantly like, man, am I wrong about this? Because if I'm wrong about this, I'm really jumping into something that's wrong. And like, are there any holes in my argument? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really solidified it for me was Ron Paul's definitely second best, maybe third or fourth, fourth best proposal of auditing the Federal Reserve and how much that was fought. 
And then it was totally revealing to me that I was like, oh, they're desperate for you to not see their books. And when it was getting a little bit of traction, I remember it was uh, Bernanke, I think at the time, who said that, well, we can't audit the Federal Reserve because it could throw the markets into chaos. And you're like, wait a minute, you're telling me if people knew what you were doing, it it would literally be chaos in the markets because they'd be like, oh, my God, they just extended $15 trillion to foreign banks and like all of this. And you're like, oh, so I'm just saying as an example, it's like sometimes like even just talking about the second or third. And there was never any question whether Ron Paul wanted to abolish the Fed or not. You know what I mean? He wrote a book about titled end the fed we all knew what his position was but it was still by advocating for this second or third best thing that it kind of revealed something in the system so again i you know like like i said you're you're right that i am being somewhat humble in this i'm not saying like hey this is the perfect situation or anything like that it's just that i i think that there's no reason why libertarians ought to handcuff ourselves from talking about like what might be a way to implement these ideas. And again, to the example I used of like the two-state solution in Israel-Palestine versus the no-state solution, like, okay, you, as much as you may say, hey, I'm, I'm fighting for the best case scenario, I think you also discredit yourselves to a lot of people when what's the solution to the war in Gaza right now? Well, it's that everyone become an anarcho-capitalist. Like, I, I can't just say a ceasefire. I can't just say, right. like, I'm for something that could sub- – like, there was a proposal. It, literally just today, the White House uh, proposed a temporary ceasefire uh, that they're going to try to make happen over there. We'll see mm-hmm. if they actually put – but it's like – that's something that's kind of on the table. It's plausible. There was a ceasefire between um, Saudi Arabia and Yemen that stuck for the last uh, year and a half. Like, all right. I'd also like for mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia and Yemen to become – you know, stateless societies. But like, I, I, I'm still allowed to say like, that's great. Let's do a ceasefire. Okay. So you're saying your position is basically what you endorse whatever the Biden White House says. Exactly. What else? <laughs> is that you know, how we end? We, that's it. So, you don't even need to listen to this episode. That's the right, teaser right. This, that you should release. That'll be the teaser, yes. This. Okay. Joking aside, I, if, if you have like five minutes, the last thing Let's I did want to ask you about was... Uh, it's funny. Someone sent me your appearance on uh, Clint's show with the point of like, look at, you know, what a jerk Dave is here, how unlibertarian he is. And you said something that I just thought was fascinating was um, something like, like you were talking about. I'll, I'll let you do it in your own word, but basically bring the troops home so they can protect the border. And to me, like that's something like if, if Trump were to somehow get that in his, in his repertoire, like he could totally r- run with that. And, and, and to me, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I get squeamish about troops patrolling the border because among other things that might make it harder for us to flee in eight years. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of, if Trump were saying that, I would think on net, that would be a good thing. Like oh, I would funny. be, so go yeah. ahead if you want to. Yeah, well, yeah, because they were so like, uh, they were like, oh my god, how status is? Then look, if I'm being like, re- you know, if we're going in terms of like best, second best, third best, fourth best, or whatever, I would like them to like, they should be discharged and then sign up as border security. You know what I mean? Like a uh, border patrol or whatever. Like I'd rather them not be military on the border. But I, this isn't me, Bob. This is what Ron Paul said. 
This wasn't like something I came up with. It was Ron Paul said in the debates, uh, it was bring bring the troops home, protect our border. And he didn't exactly say bring the troops home and put them on the border. But it was right, like, right. that's the idea right there. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and if you're telling me as a libertarian, it would be a net negative to bring the empire home. You know, to leave mm. Europe and Asia and the Middle East and all of this and, and put them on our border, that somehow that's a net negative. You see this as a growth of the state is, right. I don't know, just like bananas to me. And yeah, I think that's something that, look, I mean, it's, we're a long way from that happening. But at the same time, like just to your point, that's something that could sell to a huge audience. And, right. and look, this is, this is kind of my point with all of this. It's libertarians right now, as bad as things are, and I think you've done some of the, you know, like you, I remember you coming on my podcast during 2020 at the height of like the lockdowns and stuff like that. And you were kind of talking about like, look, this is how bad this thing could be. And your speech at a pork fest from a few years ago was kind of a similar note. Like, look, we got to be serious about how bad this all could be. And I agree with all of that. All of that. If you zoom out and look back at what's happened in the last few years in this country, it's like, whew. A lot of the stuff that guys like you and Ron Paul and so were talking about for a long time, it's like, oh, this is starting to come true. And it's kind of scary, like how dangerous this all is. So that's going on. And then at the same time, libertarians have this like enormous opportunity where, first of all, the big – and again, I know I've, I've mentioned this on my show several times, but your video that you made – which is, I don't know when it was, it was back a while ago, but you made the video where yeah. you talked about if you were going to counsel the, uh, the real rulers of the world and you went through this whole thing where you were like, hey, you know, you guys did a great job controlling the money and the education system and the military and all of this, man, you guys have just been a knockup job, but you got a real problem on your hands because there's this internet thing. There's this social media thing, and now everybody can just spread these messages. And not only that, but they can see how everyone agrees with them. Like they can see someone being like Hillary Clinton's a lying murderer, and oh my god, it's got three hundred thousand likes on this. That you know, and and mm. so we the the big thing used to be that Ron Paul was iced out; he was blacked out of media coverage. And that's like, damn man, if he could just get up there. And even in those debates, they'd only give him a few minutes, but in those few minutes, he'd knock it out of the park, and it was you know people would get so excited. Well, now that's all over. Now we can all spread our message and, and to varying degrees of large audiences, including to really really large audiences. Libertarian message is getting out there, and also at the same time. And I'm not saying there's not opportunity in the left half of America. There is. There's a lot of them who are walking away from the crazy stuff. Uh, RFK demonstrated that with how good he was doing on, on rejecting the COVID and, uh, regime and rejecting the war in Ukraine. But man, on the right half of America, but me and you in the George W. Bush years could not have envisioned what an opportunity they're at. Well, you're right. telling me all of these people have been turned against like the warfare state and the CIA and the FBI and the NSA, yeah. and they're totally skeptical of everything the corporate press tells them. And there's just, there's just all this fertile ground. And then in that environment, you have libertarians who want to talk to them about like, yeah, look, the CIA and the Federal Reserve and all that, and they're with it on all of it. And then you go, oh, and by the way, also we have to open the borders and allow homeless junkies to shoot up on public streets. And you're like, oh, great. Great. 
You just took the golden opportunity you had to actually move the needle and you blew it for something that's not even the correct libertarian principle. Like that's not even it. And in fact, all of these problems only exist on government property. They only exist on the government property. The private sector solves it. But how does it solve it? Not by allowing them to do heroin, not by allowing them all to flood in. It solves it by saying you can't do that here. And so why would the libertarian approach be that what the solution on private property is ought not be applied on government property? And in fact, the exact opposite is what ought to be applied there to make your life miserable and also guarantee that you will never listen to anything else I have to say. That's why I'm picking this fight. That's why I'm, I'm, you know, like driving Liberty Twitter crazy, because I think this is that important for us to like clean up this part of our message. It's not the right thing in terms of theory. It's not the right thing in terms of strategy. And it's not the right thing in terms of consequentialism, like in terms of what it's going to end up in. So that's essentially my my argument. Okay, well, I think that's well put. And uh, again, just the, you, you even just when you elaborate there a minute ago on the you know bring the troops home to protect the border kind of thing, you're right. If somebody wants to say no, I think that would be a bad idea. I mean, I, I get that. Believe me, the federal government, as you know, anything we give them, they're going to pervert and 100%. do something horrible with it. Yes. But if what you're saying is so, therefore, I think that we should keep them abroad. Well, then that's that's even worse. It's like, well, yeah, let them oppress people. You know, not oppress. <laughs> go go kill people. You know what I mean? Like, if we can't trust them to be right here with all the TV cameras rolling and everything to protect borders because they're going to oppress Americans, and that's like. Well, surely then keeping them abroad where they're rampaging around people that, in other words, it's almost like we're getting what we deserve if it's our own soldiers doing right. it to us. Well, not, you get what I'm saying. Not exactly. Not exactly. But I, I get your point. We're, and I, it, I also. It'd be better if they're, you know, if given that they come from us and that we're paying for it and whatever and rah, rah, rah and voting for people who order them around, if then they turn the guns on us, okay, but to send them abroad to terrorize people abroad. Like that's, that's well, even it's, worse. It's that's kind what I'm getting of, at. It kind of reminds me of, I remember David Friedman said something along the lines of, uh, and, and this was years ago. So I, I, I forgive me if I'm not getting this exactly right, but he said something, he was talking about, uh, the uh, secession and national mm -hmm. and na uh, national divorce. And he goes, okay, but so like, are you telling me that if there's, uh, if there's secession, let's say like Texas secedes, and then Texas has authoritarian anti-liberty policies that that's okay, it's okay because it's a state government. And then I think both me and you would be like, no, then we start opposing that. You know, right, like once, right. once we get to that stage, then we start opposing that. And then we start saying, hey, San Antonio should secede because they're, right, you know right. what I mean? Like, in the, like, so it's not, again, I'm not saying, oh, I think the federal government will do a really good job at this task, or, oh, there won't be other types of problems. It's like, yeah, that we should get all these troops home, and then we start opposing how they have a militarized zone, or how they're be you know what I mean, how they're violating rights mm -hmm. there. It's not, I'm not, again, it's not that I don't get libertarianism 101, and it's not that I trust the government. I know they're going to do a bad job no matter what they do, and there will be rights violations, and we should always be against that. How's this? If right now we didn't have a standing army and we just had militias, you would not say, you know what? I think it would be a good idea if the government 
built up this huge army and then used it to patrol the board. Of course. You're just saying, yes. that, no, given that there's this sprawling army doing all this stuff and they're saying, we, geez, we just don't have the resources to protect the border right now. Like, no, that doesn't make sense. We do have the resource. If we, right, that that's yes. more of what you're, okay. 100%. Okay, great. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, so my guest this week, folks, has been Dave Smith. Dave, where can people go to see more of your uh, selling out? Oh. <laughs> well, listen, if you want to uh, see me uh, do stand-up comedy, I'm always serious on these podcasts, but I'm, I'm funny when I'm on stage. Uh, ComicDaveSmith.com has all like my tour dates and stuff, and then it's uh, uh, ComicDaveSmith on Twitter, and uh, I'm on Instagram, too. I don't run it, but I should... I, they always tell me I'm not supposed to say that because then it makes people not want to follow you when they know you don't run it. But it's, it's they just share like clips and stuff of me. But the problem, uh, Dave Smith on Instagram, and uh, part of the problem is my uh, my podcast. And uh, thank you, Bob, very much for uh, for having me on. I really am. I try to say this as much as I can. But the Mises Institute and, and you were a big part of that, like really changed my life. And that was how I I discovered libertarianism and learned all of this stuff and. Um, everything I've said today, I think is just me, you know, giving back what I've learned from the, some of the biggest figures at the Mises Institute. I think it's the best organization in the world. Um, and so thank you. I'm really honored to be on. Oh, I appreciate that. And let me likewise just say that, you know, earlier when you said how you're good at communicating these ideas to people, it's not just that, but I mean, you are a sponge. Like when I hear you talking with people about foreign policy in particular. I mean, you're rattling off stuff that's just like, geez, I, it's not even that I ever knew that and forgot it. I never even knew that. That's interesting. So uh, I think you do, you know, if, if we're going to have one person on Joe Rogan standing up for our team, I think you're the guy. So thank you. I uh, appreciate all that. Good work. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Check back next week for a new episode of the Human Action Podcast. In the meantime, you can find more content like this on Mises.org.